0: you uh-huh. have On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to his wife, Penina, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. Her rival used to provoke her severely to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. Her husband, Elkanah, said to her, Hannah, why do you, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? Why is your heart sad? Am I... Am I not more to you than ten sons? After they had eaten and drunk at Shiloh, Hannah rose and presented herself before the Lord. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. She made this vow, O Lord of hosts, if only you will look on the misery of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a male child, then I will set him before you as a Nazarite until the day of his death. He shall drink neither wine nor intoxicants, and no razor shall touch his head. And she continued praying before the Lord. Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying silently, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli thought she was drunk. She drank with her husband, and her countenance was sad no longer. They rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord, and they went back to their house at Ramah. Elkanah knew his wife Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. In due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son. She named him Samuel, for she said, I have asked him of the Lord. The word of God for us, the people of God.
1: Thanks be to God. Thank you, Jeff. And I'm going to invite up my trusty partner for today. Would you pray with me? God, make me small so that you might be big today. Hide me behind you Quiet my heart so that others may hear your word. May my words be pleasing to you, God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So this fall, we have been working our way through a sermon series in the Old Testament, specifically digging into those books those early writings of God's people that have been misunderstood or misinterpreted or just are widely unknown by us. Because we realize that the Old Testament really can be a bit angry and antiquated. I've heard many of you say that to me. I've heard many of you say, why, why even read from the Old Testament? We'd like to, and it would be it would be really easy to just throw out the Old Testament altogether and cling only to the sweet and all-loving words of Jesus. But, But what we know is that the fulfillment of God's love in Jesus only makes sense when we go back to the beginning, when we go retro, as our sermon series has been called, Finding Value in the Old Made New. So this series, we have worked our way through Leviticus and through Deuteronomy, through Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. Last week, we settled ourselves, or if you were here unsettled ourselves in the book of Judges. And so today we are in 1 Samuel. If there are any of the books on this list that don't make sense to be on this list, it would be Samuel. So many of our most beloved stories in the Bible and the key players in God's narrative of salvation are introduced to us in 1 and 2 Samuel. Most notably... There's that shepherd boy you all love. You know, that youngest and smallest of his family who put down a giant with a slingshot and a, st- a slingshot and a stone, the boy who grew up to be King David, the greatest king Israel had ever known, the writer of many of our favorite psalms. And so first and second Samuel are saturated with the epic tales of this man's faithfulness and his failure. Samuel's one of our favorites, and so why do we even need to retune it? Why is this story in need of a retelling at all? Because tucked beneath the stories of kingmakers and kings, of giants and giant slayers, of imitable faithfulness and relatable failure— an indiana jones like legends of the ark of the covenant is one unsexy and unnoticed and yet evocative phrase in first samuel 3 we read the word of the lord was rare in those days the voice of god was audible god's visions were clear to Noah and Abraham and Joseph and Moses. But now, now the word of the Lord is rare and God's visions are not widespread. It seems like God's not speaking anymore, says the writer of 1 Samuel. It's been years since God's people have heard God's voice. Years of wandering and self-preserving and of just kind of groping around in the dark. Tucked behind all that, that we love about this book is the disquieting reality of God's silence, of God's distance, and, and of a people kind of spinning at the end of their rope. That's why, to help us understand the story that echoes out in 1 Samuel today, I've invited up John. Everybody say, hi, John. To understand this story, I think it's fitting for us to consider the theology of the yo-yo. And to consider the theology of the yo-yo, I need John because I do not (laughs) yo-yo. All throughout scripture, the human experience of God stands parallel to the movement and function of a yo-yo. In the beginning, God seems obvious and close at hand and as retractable as our very breath. Everything is right as it should be, and therefore nothing and no one is out of God's grip. We return to God's hand so effortlessly. We are gripped by God. In the beginning, God seems obvious and close at hand, but Scripture says that before long, about three chapters in, we, we begin wandering from God's grip. We begin to lust for things that are not accessible in God's hand, and we push away from God. As the writer of the book of Judges said, and Judges leads straight into 1 Samuel A whole generation had had passed on and a new generation had grown up and this new generation did not know God and did not remember the work of God in Israel and so they did evil in the sight of the Lord. And so we push away from God and we fall and we spiral downward and we begin to spin at the end of our rope. We lose energy, we lose momentum, and if left to our own devices, we spin completely out. At this point in the story, Israel has spun out. And the word of the Lord is rare. So that's where we begin in 1 Samuel today. Three stories, three people, Israel's past, Israel's present, and Israel's future all spinning at the end of their rope. First we find Eli. Sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple, it says, Eli, a priest, the one supposed to be leading the vision of God's people, the one tasked with making sure that God's people stay within God's grip, is now blind to the sin of his sons. He appointed his sons leaders of the temple but they're fattening themselves up on temple offerings intended for the poor. And they're selling salvation in exchange for sexual favors. And Eli is tired, and Eli is compromised. And the light in the temple, the flame Eli had been set apart to kindle, the light to represent God's presence with God's people, it's just a flicker now, it says. And Eli, kind of weary of the work of God. Pastors know what it's like to be weary of the work of God. (laughs) Eli, weary of the work of God, can't remember the last time he's even heard God's voice. The word of the Lord is rare. God is silent. God is distant. Eli, that frail and aging ghost of Israel's past, is spinning at the end of his rope. We meet Hannah, next. Crying out to God in her anger and anguish at the house of the Lord in Shiloh, she is middle-aged and and while she is regaled as Elkanah's most beloved wife, she is unable to have children. Year after year in the, the shadow of her barrenness and the torment and ridicule of others toward her, she is driven deeper and deeper and deeper into her misery. And so entering the temple, she falls on her knees, and tears are streaming, bitter tears streaming down her face, and her lips are moving with prayers too deep for normal words, prayers of the life she wished she had but cannot find. And the word of the Lord is rare. God is silent. God is distant. And Hannah, that forsaken and suffering ghost of Israel's present is too spinning at the end of her rope. Finally, the story closes with a little window into Samuel. As the story unfolds, Samuel is dropped off on the temple steps, given over fully to God in this extreme act of his mother's devotion and gratitude. And as the boy grows older... And learns of his promised vocation and service to God, a choice that he had he, he had no part in, Hannah made a long time before. Layers upon layers of questions and curiosity emerge for him about his future and about, about his adequacy and about his God. All of Samuel's mother's hope, all of Israel's hope is is staked on this this one prepubescent, hyperactive, gleefully naive little boy in the temple. The word of the Lord is rare. Samuel has no idea what to do. But when God finally moves in close and breaks God's silence for Samuel, he, he doesn't even recognize God's voice. Samuel, this kind of overburdened, underprepared ghost of Israel's future is spinning at the end of his rope. All throughout Scripture, we meet people like Eli and Hannah and Samuel who, left to their own devices, left to their own strength, spiral and spin out. But the story doesn't end there. Thankfully, Scripture says that God never quite Let's that happen to us. God has this way of continually pulling us back to God's self. No matter how often we push off from God, no matter how often we seek to leave God's grip, no matter how often we spiral into complacency and self-pity and spiritual immaturity, God continues to to pull us back. Sometimes, Sometimes we leave God's grip and we're spinning at the bottom of our rope, and, and we don't even notice it until disaster strikes, until we're overcome with a diagnosis or, or the death of a friend or the grief from that death and the loss of a meaningful job or, or the end of a marriage we thought was forever or the squelching of a dream or that kind of void of purpose in our lives. And somehow that becomes the impetus for us to be pulled back into God's grip. Sometimes instead, it's a blessing that brings us back to God, something better than we could have ever imagined for ourselves. And though we left God's hand for a while, our gratitude kind of calls us back to God's grip. Whatever that is, that nudge, that that push that brings you to the source of light or, or to the source of energy, to the source of life, that pulls you back to God again, whatever that is, Scripture says, is a call. Anything that draws you back to God is a call. For Eli, that call first rang out long, long ago in the temple He fell in love with the richness of tradition, with with the beauty of a sacred space, with the task of preserving the holiness of God's people. But now, late in life, he he has all the wisdom of the world, but none of the zeal. And so the call takes a surprising turn for him in the form of an opportunity to pass on that faith. And Eli, spinning at the end of his rope, is gripped by God again. For Hannah, that incomprehensible call rings out in the depths of pain. Maybe you relate with Hannah. Pain beckoning her like Job to trust in the goodness of God even when it seems like God has completely forsaken her. And upon finally holding that All of her heart's desire in her hands and touching his little toes and kissing his cheek. (laughs) There's a new call to give everything she ever wanted back to God. And Hannah, spinning at the bottom of her rope, is gripped by God again. For Samuel, the call is actually audible. Calling him, calling Israel into something new, something big for for he's going to anoint the the greatest king Israel has ever had, Samuel. Samuel! Samuel! God calls, and and this, this dizzy and this distracted and this exuberant little boy spinning at the end of his rope, not knowing what to do next, is pulled into God's grip, and he's able to exclaim, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. The word of the Lord is rare, but that's where God's call comes to Israel. That's where God's call came to Eli and to Hannah and to Samuel. That's where God's call always comes when we're at the end of our rope spinning. And this, I believe, is a word for the church, the church today. Because it seems to me we're in one of those times when the word of the Lord is rare and we're spinning at the end of our rope. For some churches, maybe you know them, long, long established and steepled, the light in the temple is flickering and it's just about to go out. Over the years, the church has become more and more irrelevant, more consumed with keeping the lights on and paying for a new roof than being engaged in the mission of God outside their doors. Like Eli, they have the wisdom of one who's been around for forever, steeped in rich tradition and history, but they're exhausted. They've lost their momentum and their capacity for change, and they're just spinning at the end of their rope. Other churches are just broken. Perhaps you've been a part of this one before. They're broken and they're raw, filled with hurting people, with unhealed wounds. They they felt hurt by the church and excluded by society and abandoned by God, and their pain informs every prayer or every protest or every complaint, every relationship. Like Hannah, they know well tears and anger for for good reason. Vulnerably and authentically sharing and lamenting and praying and living in the pain. But every encounter with evil and injustice in our world, every new report of worldwide pain or human failure on anyone's part, opens new wounds and the pain turns into hysteria and outrage. Unable to proclaim the hope and resurrection of Jesus Christ in the midst of despair, they just kind of spin at the the bottom of their rope. Meanwhile, still there are churches that are new, and relatable, and able to adapt on command, because they have no history of tradition or of pain to pacify. They are virtually and multi-sensory engaged and unapologetically evangelistic, like Samuel. They're playful and, and constantly curious and still naive to the to the wear and tear of time. But upon pulling, but upon pulling back the impressive facade the impressive aesthetic, you find the spirituality is an inch deep. And they're dizzy and they're distractible like a preteen boy. And after flopping around in that kiddie pool for a while, folks just kind of spin out. And so what if, what if this moment in the church's history When the word of the Lord is rare and we're spinning at the end of our rope, what if answering the call of God in this moment means joining together the wisdom of Eli, the authenticity of Hannah, and the exuberance of Samuel? Because here's the thing. Eli is as good as dead without him. Hannah and Samuel. And Hannah is wounded and hopeless without Eli and Samuel. And Samuel is clueless of God's call and God's voice without Hannah and Eli. The good news for the church and for us individually too is that when the word of the Lord is rare and we're spinning at the end of our rope, God's call echoes out and is answered in community. It takes the wisdom of Eli and the authenticity of Hannah and the exuberance of Samuel to answer God's call and start pulling people back into the presence of God. So, what would this look like? What would it look like for the Kingstown Communion to choose wisdom, authenticity, and exuberance? to not sacrifice one for the other. What would it look like to have a church that is sacramentally intentional and rich, comes to this table every single week, who's spiritually deep, but also authentically welcoming of people's pain, but always pointing them towards hope, but also so gripped by the love of God and Jesus, that they can't help but exuberantly exclaim to everyone they know this good news? What if we didn't have to sacrifice one for the other? What would it look like to say that how we practice worship matters, that this is not a show, and this is not an attraction for people, but that it is the work of God's people? while also still evangelistically focused, inviting other people to come and have their experience of transformation in Jesus too. What would a church like that mean for the world? What would it mean if we had a community that embodied the wisdom of Eli and the authenticity of Hannah and the exuberance of Samuel? at the moment when God's word is rare and we're spinning at the end of our rope. Because more and more people convinced that there's no reason to come to a place like this are feeling that the light in the temple is flickering and the light in the world is much brighter, are feeling like God's voice is fairly unrecognizable here but is booming on a mountaintop are feeling that the rope on which they're spinning is too long, too unraveled, too frayed to make it back to God again. Maybe you've been there too. Maybe you are there today. You you feel that the light in the temple is flickering and God is distant and God is silent And God is not obvious to you at all anymore. Maybe God never was. Maybe the the word of the Lord seems rare to you and you found yourself just spinning and spinning and spinning at the end of your rope. Wondering how long you can keep this up. Or maybe you think we're there societally. Maybe you just keep watching the news and and this circus cycling in the media and and in our world and you think, we are just spinning at the end of our rope. Every day you wake up and you feel like the world is slipping a little bit further from God's grace, from God's grip, and and there's more evil and more deceit and more violence and you wonder, how how long can we keep this up? you're feeling like you are spinning today and you're tired or or you're tearful you don't know where to begin If, if sermons no longer speak to you and communion is just rote, find a Samuel. Partner with a young exuberant Christian and And watch God wind you back up into God's grip. If if you can't seem to shake the pain, that feeling like you've been abandoned, maybe that's you, maybe you're Hannah. And that, that that wound just keeps getting split open again and again. If it's impossible to see the hope that lies ahead, find an Eli. Partner with a wise and weathered saint who knows well the pain and the promise and watch God pull you back to life. Or maybe you're just brand new to faith and you're exuberant and you're excited and you just feel like you're spinning, but you don't know exactly how to, to gain traction or or depth. Find a Hannah. Read her sacred story, read her like a scripture, hear her calling, and watch God gather you back into God's grip. I believe the reason I spend so much time sitting with people, listening to their stories, helping them hear the call of God at the bottom of the rope, is because most of us are listening in isolation. You weren't made to hear God's call by yourself. God's call echoes out when we're at the bottom of our ropes spinning and it answers. It is answered in community where the wisdom of Eli and the authenticity of Hannah and the exuberance of Samuel meet as the band comes forward. So that when we are at the end of our rope, and God starts tugging and tugging and tugging and tugging and tugging us back to God, we might be able to say all together, speak, Lord, for your servants are listening.